for listening to the Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Oh, goodness gracious, it's Tuesday after a long weekend, blue skies, warmer. Isn't that just a bit of a kick in the pants, is it not? I mean, the weekend was a bit of a hit and miss, but I tell you what, I tell you what, it's going to get better. And we're heading into some 20 plus days. So just hold on. The icy grip of winter is finally and finally going to let go of us just the way that the spell of Game of Thrones is letting go of us. There's no spoilers ahead, but I am going to talk about Game of Thrones just a little bit because we just need to exercise that from our system and just move on. And you know what we do now? We go outside. We try that for once. How about we go outside? How about we ever, everybody just put down your phone? No, don't play the Pokemon Go. Don't do that. Just put down your phone. Lots coming up. Uh, our meteorologist, uh, Anthony Farnell, is on his way to Toronto Island as we speak. We're going to check in with him. He has the very latest on the water levels around Toronto Island. That's going to be significant for tourism here in the city and for Tourism announcements, we're going to go to Ottawa shortly, or rather to Montreal for a tourism announcement that is coming right up, but stay with us for Mr. Farnell. Then later in the program, Bernie Farber is here with some interesting stats on racism and whether or not you have racist thoughts. You don't necessarily consider yourself to be a racist, but... You know, nobody's policing what's going on in between your ears. If they were, would they be handing you uh, a bit of a fine? Or would they be saying to you, that, sir, is a racist thought? Do you ever consider that? Bernie Farber is going to join us with that. But I want to talk about what's coming up in the next hour. Namely, pardon me, uh, Premier Doug Ford making an important announcement. I'm reading this here from the press release. Uh, Premier Doug Ford will make an important announcement during his address to the Greater Oshawa Chamber of Commerce, the Whitby Chamber of Commerce, and the Ajax Pickering Board of Trade. Does that not sound like a great lunch? Huh? Wow. Yeah, sign me up for that. Here's something else I'll tell you. When you cover these things as a journalist, what tends to happen is it's like a room full of people all around the room. You know, they're all sitting around their little tables. They're eating their rubber chicken, whatever, whatever. And then they say, well, the media table's here in the back. And you sit at the back. There's nothing there. You can't barely get a glass of water. And you're just, you're just wedged into the back. And you just feel like you're a wedding crasher. You just, and not a cool one like a Vince Vaughn. So that that's probably what's going to be happening today. Remarks begin at 1, and then there is a media availability at 1.30. And let me tell you, those are always fun when Premier Ford is involved because you just have no idea. We had this discussion this morning, this editorial discussion we have every morning when we talk about the news for the day, both here on Global News Radio on this program and also on television at 5.30. We talk about what stories we're going to do, and Travis Damaraj was saying, when they're saying, well, Travis, what story do you want to do today? Or what's on your agenda? And he's like, well, Doug Ford's talking at one thirty, so I'll tell you at 2. Because <laughs> there's just no way to know. And one of the things that's going to come up here, of course, and the fact is that he, he's talking to a bunch of municipalities, chambers of commerce. So what's going to come up here is the funding issue for municipalities. Preliminary figures show that municipalities are going to be out at least several hundreds of millions of dollars once all of the changes that were dripped out, drip by drip, from the budget after it was first released. Remember when they said, oh, we didn't raise any taxes? 
And then we find out, oh, well, wait a second, this is, quote, unquote, downloading by stealth, as a number of large municipality mayors have called it. There's only one taxpayer, said Toronto Mayor John Tory recently, and the city of Toronto alone estimates that the cuts that the Ford government are bringing in will be $178 million this year. Now, folks, that, folks, folks, that is your garbage, that is your water services, that is the parks, that is the money for tourism, and I'm going to get to tourism. I'm talking about tourism for a reason. I'll get back to that in just a second. Ottawa announcing in its budget, uh, pardon me, Ontario in its provincial budget, pardon me, it announced that it's canceling an increase to municipalities' share of gas tax funding. When the previous Liberal government announced it was doubling municipality share of of gas tax from two cents to four cents, that was estimated to mean six hundred and forty two million bucks. Last year they received three hundred and sixty four million. Now Bubkus. Uh child care funding, for example, this is one of the ones where it's so difficult to figure out. Because Ontario has allocated eighty million dollars less this year than last year. But municipalities in the child care sector say that number is much, much larger, perhaps even double that, once you figure in cost-sharing changes for you know programs that uh, make licensed, not-for-profit child care spaces. So all of this means less money for a number of issues on the municipal level, and that's something the Premier is going to be talking about today, especially the fact that it's not just John Tory. I know a lot of people want to talk about this as a Tory v. Ford, and obviously there's a lot of gas in that engine. But it's not just that. You're seeing other large municipal mayors stepping forward saying, hey, hold on, I either have to raise taxes or cut services. There's just no two ways about it. Here's the tourism number. Funding of about 17.5 million has been cut to regional tourism organizations across the province, including eliminating money to Tourism Toronto and Ottawa Tourism. Now, do you think we should be spending money on tourism? I mean, just look around. It's gorgeous. As I look at a number of dump trucks and cranes, which pretty much is... What seems to be the big draw of Toronto lately? Hey, you want to see? Hey, you want to see a dystopian future? Why don't you come over to Eglinton Avenue? I'll tell you what, it is nuts over there. There's so many parts of the city that are torn up, but that's not my point. My point is, is that Ottawa now, just as Ontario is cutting tourism numbers, Ottawa is saying, "Hey, we're going to pony up 58 million bucks over two years." for a strategy that hinges on participation of the private sector, as well as additional investment from other federal agencies. And the idea here is to create 54,000 new jobs by bringing in people to things that they don't necessarily come for. Here is the uh, minister in charge, uh, Madame Jolie, Melanie Jolie. Canada is big and beautiful. We have so much potential to build on, like our beautiful fall colors, our snowy winters, rich indigenous cultures, safe communities for LGBTQ2 travelers, and we have some of the best culinary chefs. Did you hear how she hit LGBTQ right there? Like it was just nothing. Like it was like just slick. 
Like you practice, you got to practice that. I'm telling you as an anchor man, and I'm not complaining about the thing at all. I'm not. I mean, there's you know the Seinfeld, right? You know, but I'm telling you, every time I turn around, there's another letter at the end of that thing. And as a news guy, LGBTQ plus, it it that thing does not roll off the tongue. You got to practice it. And by, can we just play the beginning of that one more time? Can we just hit that? Canada is big and beautiful. What are we, we big have boned so now? Much we're big and beautiful. We're plus sized? Is that what we're reaching out to? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Kawhi. Uh, Kyle Lowry is in the room as well. Uh, how you feeling, Kyle? I'm feeling great. Happy to be alive. Me too, me too, Kyle, me too. So the whole announcement here is that the government is targeting five areas for growth. Winter travel, hey, come see us, we're frozen. Indigenous tourism, rural experiences, Why don't... <laughs> rural experiences, hey, come on out, we're gathering the hay. Culinary visits, and then... LGBTQ2 visitors. And I didn't say it nearly as well as the minister. Can we hit her one more? Just give her, give us to it one more time. Canada is big and beautiful. Big and beautiful. The whole idea here is to get jobs, 54,000 new jobs directly related to tourism. But as I noted, at the very same time, the Ford government is saying, you know what? That whole tourism budget for the city of Toronto, not so much. Well, I guess I guess it's off to the frozen wasteland for us. We're keeping our eye on the water levels in Lake Ontario in the uh, latest from the Toronto and Region Conservation Authority, which safeguards the city's watersheds, says that uh, Lake Ontario's water levels are currently below those historic levels that were, were recorded in 2017. But if we get too much more rain, and we have had some rain over the weekend, those levels could reach historic highs that cause flooding in and around the Toronto area and on the Toronto Islands. Whether or not we'll exceed those 2017 levels is really going to depend on the precipitation in coming weeks. The Conservation Authority has also issued a a notice of caution specifically for the Scarborough Bluffs due to the potential for landslides. Boardwalks and other trails along Lake Ontario can be dangerous during high times, during these times of high waves especially. I was walking along the uh, boardwalk in my neighborhood of the beaches, and it was just remarkable to see that the beach is not really there in a great number of places. And the boardwalk itself, which they have shored up with rocks and spent a bunch of money on recently, now has big plastic cones on it just in case, and it's quite a precipitous drop-off 
on the one area of the boardwalk in places. And then also you think about the volleyball season and what will happen with that. Uh, Anthony Farnell is the Global News Meteorologist, and he is on his way to the island today. Anthony, how you doing? I'm good. How are you doing, Alan? I, I'm all right. Uh, much better that it's sunny and warm on a Tuesday after a long weekend, but we won't get into that. Uh, where are you now? I am uh, right in front of the uh, Toronto Ferry uh, dock, so uh, planning on heading over in the next uh, half hour or so. And the big difference this year versus two years ago is that the ferry service is still going to the island, and uh, they don't plan on stopping. They've made some pretty big adjustments as far as uh, leveling things off on the other side so that they're going to be able to keep running even as the water levels continue to climb. And speaking of those water levels, the uh, TRCA said the average water level in Lake Ontario was 75.74 meters. I think I might be looking at Thursday numbers. Essentially, we're just about 19 centimeters below that record. What's your feeling? Are you a a betting guy? Are we going over the record? (laughs) I think we're going to come basically at par and, and likely even a little bit higher uh, then that number, and uh, just to give you some updated uh, results, uh, now on this Tuesday, we're at uh, 75.78 meters, so up another 4 centimeters, now 15 centimeters away, and uh, even though we're not getting much rain this week, that's not been the entire story and the entire problem. Two, th- two years ago, we had record amounts of rainfall, and that was the main cause around here. This year, it's mostly what's going on in the Ottawa River and around Montreal. There's still flooding there. And that's why they're not able to release the same amount of water to lower the lake level. And that's why this is a long-term problem, one that we've been watching now for the last month and a half. And uh, it is likely going to continue, unfortunately, for at least the first half of the summer. What are you expecting to see when you get over to the island today? Well, I I was there at the worst of it uh, in 2017. I actually took a paddleboard out, and I was going right over uh, some of the fields where I would have been playing volleyball in the Hope Volleyball Tournament, which is coming up in a few weeks' time. So I'm not expecting it to be at that level just yet, but uh, I know sandbagging efforts have been going on. Uh, I know they have uh, industrial-sized pumps that have been helping out residents on places like Wards Island, and that that's definitely gone a long way. But whenever you get a wind change, and we had that yesterday, some very gusty winds from, from the west and northwest, that makes one side of the island susceptible. And then tomorrow we're going to get east winds, So you look at the other side of the island, and this is something that residents there have gotten used to. And uh, it's not just the Toronto Islands, but uh, there are communities and and homes all along Lake Ontario shoreline on this side, and now a state of emergency on on the New York side uh, as well. And then in terms of just looking over the course of the week, you're saying that whether or not it rains and really opens up at this point, really, that, that is not the issue. It, it, it definitely has an impact. So uh, if we get two weeks of dry weather, we'll still likely be very close to uh, to that record that was set a couple of years ago. If we do see normal or even above normal rainfall, then, uh, well, who knows how high the, the water will go. And uh, this is uh, going to be a problem, I think, later into the season than it was just two years ago where it peaked on May 25th. So uh, we're hoping for a dry forecast. I know everybody is just ready for summer weather. And uh, one thing that we see now that the temperatures are warming up, instead of getting just uh, widespread rain across the entire Lake Ontario Basin, 
we'll see these pop-up showers and storms, and, and because the ground has dried out a bit, uh, rivers will be able to handle that much better than, than they did in, in April and early May. Did you manage to get your hands on a, um, a surfboard or any kind of stand-up paddleboard this year? Uh, I, I'm in communication with, uh, <laughs> with the island uh, SUP uh, organization, so we'll, we'll see. I, I brought my hip waders, so uh, mm-hmm. it's going to be one or the other, Alan, at 530, either the, uh, the big chest waders or... Or maybe uh, on a paddleboard. <laughs> I I look I look forward to it. I am just going to point out that the first really kind of nice day that we have, suddenly you're on your way to go paddleboarding on the island. How does that work again? <laughs> SPF fifty. I, I don't know. Somehow I I pitched this idea last week. Uh huh. It just happened to just happen. Just happened to be on the nicest day. All right, Farnell. I see through you, dude. I see through you. I just have this two minutes to talk to you, and then I'm I'm, going to get very, very busy uh, this afternoon surveying surveying what's going on over there. (laughs) Surveying from a patio chair. All right, Anthony Farnell. You can see him, the hardest-working meteorologist that I know that lives in Leslieville. I think that's probably... <laughs> okay, thanks, Anthony. We'll see you All tonight. Right, All right. La- hey, oh, hey, listen, I really want to talk to Game of Thrones real real quick. Uh, and no spoilers here. Absolutely no spoilers at all. However, I just want to read to you what George R. R. Martin has written about the ending of the series. Of course, George R. R. Martin wrote the books that the whole thing's uh, based on. The uh, 70-year-old said, quote... It was an ending, but it was also a beginning. He also said that he's working on the next installment, The Winds of Winter. He says, you know, it's late, but it will be done. And then he says something called A Dream of Spring is going to follow. <laughs> Martin says he hears people asking, will it have the same ending as the show or will it be different? He writes, well, yes and no. Fantastic. All right, it's time to... Hey, listen, speaking of uh, perhaps fantasy... A water taxi to your island. Could you actually take a water taxi as a commuter? Well, that's what my next guest is proposing. Alex Nozal is the president of Otter Guy. What is that, Alex? (laughs) The Otter Guy is the name of our company. Each boat's got the word otter in it, such as Otter Chaos, Grand Theft Otter. It's a play on words. <laughs> but um, we're expanding more than just being a water taxi service. We're also, as you mentioned earlier, we're proposing to run a scheduled ferry service uh, between Young Street and Humber Bay. All right, this kind of thing is the sort of thing gets floated, pardon the pun, every couple of years, and it turns out to be nothing more than fantasy. Why is it reality in your case? Well, in this particular case, uh, we are an experienced company. We've been around eight years. Uh, we've ordered boats. Uh, everything is ready to go except the political will. As long as we've got the support, from our local councillors, you know, securing a lease over there at Humber Bay, we can start up right away. We're ready to go. We've done our surveys. We've done our homework. And this is um, not only feasible, but it's long overdue. I think the reason it didn't really occur before was you really didn't have somebody from the private industry stepping up. 
Um, and that's our business, water transportation. So it's a little bit different than anybody who was floating around before. Uh, what's your relationship with the Ford government? Do you have the premier's cell phone? I could give that to you. <laughs> no, but I'm hoping to get a call from him soon. Right. Have you left um, him a voicemail at all? He, he likes a call. You should call him. I, I will call him. I will call him. I, I hope he comes to our meeting next week at the uh, Polish Alliance Hall on Lakeshore. Um, it's on May 30th, but um, 7 p.m. We're, it's, it's a meeting that we're having with the public, hopefully to hear the concerns and uh, the reactions of everybody to the proposal. And we're hoping that every politician that's got an interest here will be there to see what we believe to be overwhelming support for a scheduled ferry service between Humber Bay and Young. Do you share the Premier's assessment of Toronto City City Hall that it's totally dysfunctional? These are the people that you need the approval from. Uh, I'm going to find that out pretty soon. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, dude, I think you are in for a shocker. Because I, I don't, you can't, you can herd cats easier than you can get those people to agree on anything. Well, I have spoke to Mark Grimes' office. Um, he's the city council for the Humber Bay. And to be honest, they've been really supportive. Uh, they're saying they're going to do whatever they can to, to make this happen. Uh, we're also going to need Joe Cressy, who, where our Young Street office falls in. We're going to need his support as well. I think provided that those two city councilors work together, I don't really see uh, this not happening. Alex Nozal is the president of Otter Guy, who is proposing a regularly scheduled ferry service in Lake Ontario. One more time, Alex, pitch me that meeting. It's on May 30th at 7 p.m. at 2282 Lakeshore Boulevard West. It's the Polish Alliance Hall, and they have free parking. And it's uh, just about 150 yards away from where we plan to um, do our pickups and drop-offs on the boat. All right, Alex, thank you so much. We appreciate that. You appreciate you being on, and best of luck there. Well, thanks a lot, Alan. I hope to see you on the boat. I I hope that someday that that is a reality. Uh, Kyle Lowry, how do you feel about it? I'm feeling great. Happy to be alive. Almost half of Canadians will admit to having racist thoughts, and more feel comfortable expressing them today than in years past. That, according to a new poll commissioned by Global News. Now, the results land amid an uptick in the number of people who reported facing racism firsthand. And the poll found that 47% of respondents thought racism was a serious problem in the country. Down from 69% in 1992. I'm going to back that up. The poll found that 47% of respondents thought racism was a serious problem in the country, down from 69% in 1992. 
More than three-quarters of respondents said they were not racist, but many acknowledged having racist thoughts they did not share with others. The Ipsos poll also revealed that racist stereotypes are alive and simmering in Canada. These stereotypes are slightly stronger in Quebec, where prejudiced uh, theories against Muslims and Jewish people seem to have taken more of a root and thrive. But I want to talk about these numbers and racist thoughts. And for that, I am pleased to welcome Bernie Farber, who is the chair of the Canadian Anti-Hate Network. Hi, Bernie. Hello, Alan. Thank you for having me on your show. I appreciate you being here. Bernie, I want to ask you this, and this is going to be a tough one, but when have we ever reported a decrease in the number of hate crimes? I don't think there's ever been a time that I can remember where we have reported a decrease in reported hate crimes. As a matter of fact, from year to year, we have seen sometimes uh, small jumps, uh, sometimes large jumps, and sometimes extreme jumps, as we've seen in the last reporting by Stats Canada, which which showed that uh, the hate crimes and hate reporting against um, most the Muslim community jumped to 153%. Reported hate crimes against Jews were up 63%. I mean, the, the numbers are staggering. So the poll that, uh, that you commissioned uh, this last little while, while it's shocking, to me, honestly, it's not a surprise. And I say that with great sadness because we've seen this coming. Uh, we, we've seen a change in people's attitudes. Um, and a lot of this uh, is explainable, but, again, sadly explainable. I come back to the never reporting is going down. And I do so because I wonder if there is not a cry wolf situation here. And I want to qualify that. I want to qualify that by saying that any hate crime is despicable. And I guess what I'm talking about is the communication to people. And I I do not disagree that there is certainly an uptick in the number of hate-related incidents in Canada. We've seen it. But how do we address it by not just saying, oh, it's bad every year? Well, I I suppose that's the question that, uh, you know, could win somebody a million dollars because we've not been able to find the right answer to it, or people just aren't listening. I mean, we... Uh, you know, in, in terms of crying wolf, I think police and other authorities will tell you that for the most part, they think that hate crime is underreported. And so to see huge upticks, you know, tells me that there is a serious problem in society if, if it's actually underreported, which I believe is true, by the way. I, I think people are afraid to report hate crimes, especially new immigrant and refugee communities. They're afraid of authorities, uh, authorities back from where they came from, where, where people to fear, not people to trust and to, uh, and to uh, you know, entrust with their information. So, you know, we we know that it's happening out there. We know that people have these attitudes. And I've said for years, as have many, that you have to assume that at least a third of your population harbor uh, racist thoughts, and some harbor extreme racist thoughts. Uh, how many of those actually w- will say, yes, I'm, I'm a bit of a racist? Not many, not even to a pollster. But this number, almost half, will admit to having some yeah. racist thoughts. Yeah. Give me a sense of what that means. Well, that could mean anything from, you know, you see a person of color and uh, you have negative uh, negative thoughts about that person. Uh, you see a person wearing a hijab or a skull cap. 
same thing. You fear them, you hate them, uh, you distrust them. Look, we're, a, we're in a situation today where uh, almost they say 50% of young people in school today do not even know what the Holocaust was. Well, if you don't know what the Holocaust was and how it was perpetrated, um, certainly anti-Semitism is, is ripe for the picking, uh, you know, Jew hatred. By the way, it's the same with uh, Islamophobia, with anti-Muslim hatred. Uh, this is a relatively new commu- community that has come in. Politicians, uh, many politicians from both the United States and Canada, even leaders, have uh, cast their eye on, on Muslims and, and really uh, uh, sort of um, told people, you know, made it very clear these people are not to be trusted. All you have to do is look at a guy like Donald Trump uh, with his you know, anti-Muslim rhetoric that, that borders on, um, uh, on almost this, this vile hatred. And if the president says it's okay, even those that, that feel mm, a little uncomfortable, I think that there is a new level of comfort to come out and admit that, okay, maybe I am a bit racist. If the president can be racist, well then, damn it, so can I. Bernie Farber is chair of the Canadian Anti-Hate Network. It is a troubling time. I agree with you 100% on that. Bernie, thank you so much for being with thank us. Thank you, Alan. Appreciate it. Can we stop? Can we change? Can we try to do something useful in the end? Can we stop? Can we change? Can we try to do something useful in the end? Sad news from the world of broadcasting today. Longtime Toronto radio personality and champion of indie music, Dave Bookie Bookman, has died. He was 58 years old. He most recently was working at Indy 88, Indy 88 announcing his death, saying that he had fallen ill and died peacefully. Before taking to the air on Indy 88, Bookman worked for over two decades at The Edge, where he became a staple in the indie music scene. He was a longtime host of the Indie Hour. He could also be seen every week at the Horseshoe for New Music Night. He introduced so much music to this city, And if you love music, and you loved indie music, then this voice is always recognizable to you. We're asked just to say something just to describe the feeling. There's a a lot of people who are real happy, and we're among you. And the feeling we want to convey is what music, how we kind of define ourselves, not live vicariously, but define ourselves, our character, our social mores, our values friends and through the music we like and it can come from wearing a t-shirt from quoting a lyric or just about the way that we live our lives on a day-to-day basis that is dave bookie bookman speaking at massey hall introducing the rio statics in 2007 and what he had to say there that was not only something that he said out loud it was something that he lived and to talk more about bookie I'm joined by Alan Cross from 102.1 The Edge. Hi, Alan. Hi. This uh, this is really, really horrible, really, really sad. Uh, I've known Bookie more than a quarter century. He was a colleague, and then he was an employee of mine, and I was one of his biggest fans. I think so many of us who listened in our cars and in our homes and didn't know Bookie, but was so familiar with that voice that you just heard that when he came on the radio and said, I like this, <laughs> you paid well, you, attention. I paid attention every time. You certainly did. 
Um, he was one of the most enthusiastic people I have ever met, and most of his enthusiasm was devoted to three things. First of all, watching The Young and the Restless every afternoon. <laughs> I did not know this. Really? Yeah, he was a, he's a Vic Newman guy? He really was. Wow. He knew every restaurant in the city, and if you needed a recommendation, he could not only tell you where to go, but who to talk to at that particular restaurant. And it didn't have to be a restaurant. It could be a hot dog cart. And uh, music. Um, he lived and breathed music. When he first came on as the guy who was our indie reporter for a separate time program we had back then called Live in Toronto, he knew everybody. And uh, he was our entry into so much music that was flying below the radar. Eventually, he got a regular on-air shift, working weekends at the edge, and then he worked afternoons for, oh, God, a good decade or more. And he, you know, you know he was genuine, authentic, real, polite, um, principled, morally guided. Uh, there, there's just not enough words to describe exactly what he, how he was as a human being. But as a, as, and as a music fan, it gets even harder because he was he embraced just about every sort of music. Elvis Costello was a big favorite of his. So was Wilco, and so was Dinosaur Jr. Um, and he was a fantastic interviewer. Uh, he would bring stuff out of subjects that no one else could. I, I remember one particular day where he had all four members of U2 in the studio with him. And there were a couple hundred people inside and outside the studio watching this. And, I mean, that's that's live on the air. And, and he was able to handle it <laughs> to the point where Bono gave him a shoulder massage. <laughs> <laughs> I remember uh, the one time I met him, I was doing a piece on the on anniversary, a birthday anniversary for the Horseshoe Tavern and delving into the history of that iconic place that has defined the city for so long and music in the city. And you can't not tell the story of the Horseshoe without Dave Bookman and New Music Night and what that meant to so many young bands. This went on forever. Every Tuesday night they'd have uh, between three and six bands, I guess. Never a cover. Bookie would be at the front welcoming people in. And the number of artists that went through there they may have been unknowns when they first started, but later in their careers, they became very successful. I mean, the Strokes played Bookie's New Music Night. Uh, Tom York from Radiohead played Bookie's New Music Night. If you search online, you'll find a, an article on Vice that talks about the greatest new music night that you've never heard of, and they were talking about Bookie's Night at the Horseshoe. He will be missed. He, he really will be. Uh, infectious, intoxicating enthusiasm a friend of Canadian music, a friend to anybody who ever knew him. And he's one of those guys, and I've had a lot of emails this morning from people who say that, you know, I never met him, never ran into him, but I felt like I know, I felt like I knew him because he uh, he was just one of those people on the radio and one of those people in person. Alan Cross from 102.1 The Edge. Thank you so much for being with us. You're welcome. Sad news indeed. Yeah, but today, I think we celebrate. I'm going to play some real statics super loud in my car when I drive away today, when I drive on my way up to Don Mills. I want to quickly read a little bit of marijuana news because like, some marijuana news comes across my desk every day, and I'm always fascinated by it. And here, you know, you think about, you know, the legalization and all the rest of that stuff. Well, let's take you to Myanmar, where a court in Myanmar has now formally charged an American man and two local workers with violating drug laws concerning marijuana. And the potential penalty 
ranges from five years imprisonment to death. The court charging this guy with five sections of the drugs and narcotics law. The defendants contend they were growing hemp, not marijuana. Essentially, they were saying, no, we were just growing hemp to process into CBD. The government says no. In Maine, sales of recreational marijuana are on track to begin next March. State's voters chose to legalize marijuana way back in 2016. Potheads have been a little dry there since then, if you know what I mean. Implementation has been held up by months of delay, political squabbles. The state's proposed marijuana rules will be the subject of a public hearing on Thursday, and state officials say there's going to be a lot of people there. And now, our final marijuana news story before we run out of time, cannabis for dogs. Dr. Tim Adams is a lead researcher at a Aussie hemp company and says, you know where the growth is in the cannabis market? It's getting your dog high. Well, some CBD. But hey, if he enjoys the trip, so much better. We'll see you tomorrow.